This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I want to start a new series this morning called Paid in Full. Um, I'm actually going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to actually carry the whole series through the entire month. I'm not going to stop at Easter, where we've typically done in the past. This is all Easter-themed. But I'm going to go the entire month of April with the firm belief that this is going to be a miraculous month. And so I want to give Jesus every single day in the month to do His thing. But this entire series is about what I'm going to call the greatest word from the greatest man on the greatest day in all eternity. It's a word that many people may not know, but we're going to talk about it for the next four Sundays. In description of this one word, an incredible Methodist pastor by the name of A.C. Gabelin writes this. He says, Never before and never after was ever spoken one word which contains and means so much. It is the shout of the mighty victor. And who can measure the depths of this one word? I want to set you up this morning for a very powerful yet simple thought that revolves around one simple Word. And I believe that this one word can transform your life. I believe that this one word can maybe change the direction of your life and put it on the direction that God has always intended it to be on. This one word is mind-blowing. It's actually a Greek word. It's not even an English word. I'm going, I'm going full-throttle Bible scholar on you today. I'm not holding back. I'm not even using English. So the entire, uh, the entire message will be in Latin. And um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I would not do that because I don't even know Latin. The only thing I know is a tu brute, and that wasn't necessarily a good word from Julius Caesar, so we're going to keep moving on. That's grade 10 English many moons ago. Thank you. All right. But J.C. Ryle, a theologian, basically in description of this one word, said that there is none more remarkable than this one. It is one of the words or one of the the declarations that Jesus declared while on the cross. There was actually seven that He declared. Seven phrases or seven thoughts that He declared on the cross before He died. And this is one of them. It's actually the sixth one. Um, Not the final one, it's the sixth one. And we're going to talk a little bit about why even the sixth time it being mentioned is important. But we're going to jump in. I'm going to show you in John chapter 19, verses 30, where this phrase comes from. It says, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, it is finished. Say after me, it is finished. finished. It's not going to be. It's not about to be. It's not, well, maybe a little bit is. No, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. This little three-word phrase in the English, it is finished, is actually only one Greek word and it's tetelestai. Only one word. He declared on the cross, tetelestai. But yet we understand it 
from the concept of English, it is finished. Some versions say it is complete. Other versions say it is consummated, but it's this concept of it is finished. It means paid in full. And we're going to kind of unpack over the next couple of weeks kind of how that uh, affected or how that whole concept of that word affected those people during that day because it was a very significant word that was understood by everyone. So when Jesus said it on the cross, everyone understood the significance of what He was saying. Three words in the English, one word in the Greek. I I do find it interesting that it was one member of the Trinity declaring one word. Yet it was three in one. It is finished. One word, but no word ever uttered has so changed the history and the destiny of humanity. Not just 2,000 years ago, but it is as true today as it's ever been. I want to read you another quote by Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorites. And he said this in describing Tetelestai. He said, an ocean of meaning and a drop of language, a mere drop. It would need all the other words that were ever spoken or ever can be spoken to explain this one word. It is altogether immeasurable. It is high. I cannot attain to it. It is deep. I cannot fathom it. It is finished is the most charming note in all of Calvary's music. The fire has passed upon the Lamb. He has borne the whole of the wrath that was due to His people. This is the royal dish of the Feast of Love. Theologian A.W. Pink goes one step further and he says this, Eternity will be needed to make manifest all that Tetelestai contains. I want you to understand how significant this word is. This is huge. This is life transforming. So I guess the first question you're probably asking yourself, so what in the world does it mean? What is its full context? How does it apply to my life? Well, those are great questions, and we're going to dive into that whole thought around the meaning of tetelestai today. It literally means this, and you can see it on the screen behind me. It literally means to finish, to end, to complete, to perform that last act which completes a process, to accomplish, to fulfill. So to understand this meaning, you actually have to go back to the root words in the Greek that actually make up this one word. And when you look at the root word behind this word tetelestai, you'll understand that the word teleo is the word that it it literally is founded upon. It's the foundation word. And so teleo is the perfect tense of this verb that actually plays out into the word tetelestai. But here's what it means. It means a goal achieved. A consummation, a result attained. And I want you to play, uh, pay particular attention to this next definition. It is to bring something to its intended or des- uh, de- uh, sorry, destined goal. It's to bring something to its intended or destined goal. How many love to have to-do lists? Okay, some of you are lying. It's like, you know, you're like, I don't want to put up my hand because I don't want to be judged as having OCD or anything like that. Okay. How many love lists? How many love to check all the things off the list? Oh, come on. Can I get an amen? How many it drives you crazy when you finish the puzzle and there's one missing? 
you should see my, my eight-year-old daughter when there's a puzzle piece missing. It's in that moment that I say to Satan himself, just look out, she could kill you. <laughs> just stay away from our family. She will kill you right now. If you don't believe me, just watch. You know, it's in that moment where I think back to certain scenes from the Croods where baby is released. <laughs> For those that have ever seen the Croods. Right. Release the baby. Okay. If you've never seen it, you're missing out. I'm just saying. You are missing out. You have a sheltered life. I'm kidding. All right. No. It's all good. I love to accomplish a task. I love to make sure that we're getting things done. I love to stay on top. That's awesome. I love it. Some people love it even more. But I would say I love the feeling of accomplishing a task probably even more than just the task itself. Right? Okay. Interestingly enough, this Greek word telos does not actually mean to complete a task. I wish it was. I wish it was just checking the box. Like Jesus checked boxes that day. Now, I wish that's what it was. Because I think we'd have a little bit easier time understanding the significance of it, but it's not what it means at all. It actually means to carry something out to the fullest. So not just to do it, but to do it to the fullest degree. Okay? It means to bring to a finish, and here's the word that bothers me, it means to bring something to perfection. Okay, well that changes kind of the checky box list in my mind regarding what Jesus did on the cross. It wasn't about Jesus dying and checking boxes off for us. There was something much more significant about it. So tetelestai is a word of finality. Okay? It is finished means it stands finished and it will always be finished. In other words, it can never be unfinished. But how many of us as believers come to Jesus like it hasn't quite been finished yet? It can never be unfinished. And I'm going to make a statement that I hope you get. It cannot be any more finished than it was 2,000 years ago. You can't make it more finished than it already is. It's finished. So then what in the world was finished? That's a great question. Christ's work of redemption for humanity was finished. It's not still ongoing He's not still trying to figure it out. He's not trying to find out ways to make it more finished than what he finished 2,000 years ago. It is complete right now. Completely done. This is where this number six really comes into play, and it's really interesting. It's the sixth thing that he declares on the cross. The seventh thing was where he literally commends his spirit to his father. But the sixth one is interesting because the number six literally means the number of mankind or humanity. It's the number of humanity. And so what he's declaring is a word spoken directly to humanity. It's not to the Father. It's not to the Spirit of God that's coming after Him. It's not even directly to His followers that were listening. It was to everyone, past, present, future, that fits into the role of humanity. And he's saying, I have completed everything necessary to restore you, humanity, 
to my father divinity. So the bridge cannot be come up with from you. You can't create the bridge. How many know that so many times in a religious context, we continuously try to impress God? Or to build the bridge back to God somehow? I just want you to to know right now that you can get out of the bridge building business because it's not working. Jesus already built the bridge. And it's secure because it's fastened to Him and His Word. And we know that the foundation of His Word is immovable. It's unshakable. Nothing can shake it. Nothing can change it. Nothing can take it away from what it was designed to, to do and to be. Jesus is your bridge. It is finished was a declaration to humanity. What's he saying? I got your back. Yeah, but Lord, what happens if we kept messing up? I got your back. But how's that going to work? It's finished. What's finished? Everything. What's everything? The bridge that I built between my father and you. Is there anything I have to do? Yep. What? Wave the white flag. Stop trying to figure it out on your own. Stop trying to do life on your own. You can't apply it is finished if you're still working. Okay? It's like oil and water. Don't mix. It's not good. It is the one word that I honestly believe Jesus for 33 years on the earth longed to declare. But he had to wait till the entire sin of the world was upon him to defeat it and build a bridge to humanity. It's a word that he lived for. It's a word he died for. It is that one word that he was resurrected for and it is that one word that causes him to reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. And what's interesting is if we're a child of God, we're called to reign. We're not called to be reigned over. We're called to rule. So that's strong. Yep, I, Jesus said it. I did. I'm sorry. It wasn't my idea. Some days I wonder, like, Jesus, you seriously want to trust me to rule and reign on the earth? Yep. Are you sure you don't want to phone a friend? You know? No, I'm sure. How do you know that I can do it? Because you came to the end of yourself. Yeah, I did. Hmm. Hmm. It's what he's asking you. Hebrews 9.12 says it beautifully. I, I love this whole concept of what redemption is and what he paid for. He says this, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves. So for those that maybe don't know, for the entire New, uh, Old Testament, they had a sacrificial system where they would literally um, sacrifice animals and sprinkle bl- blood over the altar and over the, you know, the Ark of the Covenant in order to atone for or to make right what was wrong in their community. I'm so grateful that we don't have to do that. 
I am so grateful that we don't have to take our little pet that's in our house and go, oh, daddy messed up, come on. (laughs) Where are we going? You're going to a better place (laughs) where there will be no pain and you get to be with Jesus forever. What does that look like? You know, okay, here we go. So it says here, he entered the most holy place once for all time. Once for all, doesn't have to repeat it over and over and over again. All the Old Testament priests had to repeat the same thing every single day. I don't know about you, but I'd get discouraged. If I am literally murdering these precious little lambs every day, that's discouraging. Like, honestly, that's like, okay, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Like, if you ever wanted to be depressed and want to quit your job, I think that job would probably come pretty close to qualifying for, I don't want to do this ever again. There's sometimes we've had jobs where we're like, Lord, why are we here? There's this honor to be a priest, but then there was this other side where it's like, I don't know if I want to do that. But then he goes on and he says, and secured our redemption forever. Forever is a very long time. Which is why we need to tell people about Christ. Thanks, honey, for what you shared last two weeks. Why? Because forever is a very long time. What could not be accomplished through the Old Testament sacrificial system in one moment, in one moment, was accomplished on the cross. One moment. Paid in full in Christ Jesus. Psalm 111 verse 9 says it like this, He has paid a full ransom for His people. And He has guaranteed His covenant with them forever. Oh, there's that word again. What a holy, awe-inspiring name He has. So what does this word tetelestai mean to us today? What is the significance of this word today? Well, I'm going to share it with you very quickly. First thought is this. Our debt of sin was paid for by Jesus. How many know... Uh, that humanity is messed up. You know, I don't know about you, but when I turn on the news right now, I don't get these warm, fuzzy feelings. I don't look at humanity and go, oh, it's just so easy to trust everyone today. I, you know, I trust our leaders, and I trust our business people, and I trust our this, that, and the other. That's not the feeling that I have. I have the feeling of, Lord, help me to pray for these people because I don't want to. We live in a crazy world. He's paid a full ransom. That's our hope. So what's the first thing? Our debt of sin was paid for by Jesus. I'll say this. Some people have an awareness of this particular issue more than other people because some of you feel like you haven't sinned as many times or as often or as bad as some other people do. You know what? I think uh, that I came to the realization 20 years ago, probably the worst sin in the world, are you ready for this? Is pride. So the very fact that you think that someone else is far worse than you is the very root of pride, which interestingly enough is the very thing that threw Satan out of heaven. That one was for me because that was me 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I, or whatever it was, 22 years ago, I, was, I thought I had it all. I thought I figured it all out. I know nothing. That's what I realized. In one moment with Jesus, I knew nothing. 
But Hebrews 10, verses 11 and 12 says this, just to hammer this thought home. It says, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. So verse 12, but our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Not good for some time, but good for all time. Second thing is this, Satan is defeated and rendered powerless. And you said... All right, Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death Jesus might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I want you to just land on a couple of key words here, okay? It wasn't just victory over the devil. It was victory over the power of the devil. Okay? It was victory over the power of fear. It was victory over the bondage that fear creates. Okay? Jesus has set you free from the words of the enemy by declaring the one word from heaven that brings breakthrough in every circumstance. He canceled the enemy's word and replaced it with his. Tetelestai. See, every requirement of the law had been satisfied. Galatians 3.13, it says, Yet Christ paid the full price to set us free from the curse of the law. He absorbed it completely and He has become a curse in our place. He took our place. That's a pretty good deal. I don't know about you, but I like that deal. He paid the full price. In other words, Jesus doesn't have any IOUs. He doesn't. Hey, I'll get back and I'll deal with that later. No, he dealt with it 2,000 years ago. He absorbed the full curse of the law on himself. I love 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says this in verse uh, 5 and 6. It says, For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Not some, but for everyone. That's the heart of God for you this morning. Amen? Last thought is this, Jesus restored humanity to the Father's presence. We sang about that this morning. Thanks, Bree, for picking songs that were awesome today. But Colossians 1, 21-22 says this, Even though you were once distant from Him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, He reconnected you back to Himself. He released His supernatural peace. How many want that? Okay to you through the sacrifice of His own body as the sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in His presence. That's the goal, that Eden would be restored. The Garden of Eden to be restored to your life. Where? What was the Garden of Eden? Walking in the presence of God every single day. I don't know about you, I'd love that. And now there is nothing between you and Father God for He sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. Jesus is the bridge between humanity and divinity. That's what this is all about. He restored humanity to the very presence of God. I love this concept of drawing in Eden because humanity lost Eden because of sin, yet Jesus became sin for us so that He could restore Eden to your life. Right? Presence of God every day. That would be awesome. But look what Frank Borham, he's a theologian, says about this. He says, this divine self-satisfaction appears only twice. Once in each testament. When he completed the work of creation, he looked upon it and said that it was very good. 
when he completed the work of redemption, he cried out with a loud voice, Tetelestai. And it means, in essence, the same thing. It's finished. Creation's finished. Redemption's finished. Remember the root meaning of this word, Tetelestai. It literally means to bring something to its intended or destined goal. So when Jesus was declaring this word on the cross 2,000 years ago, He was literally saying His mission to redeem sinners had reached its intended goal. It was done. It was completed. His benefits to those who would be redeemed were not just for the here and now, but for all eternity. That's what He was declaring. This is why when questioned by His disciples many times in, in His walk and as the disciples were following Him, they'd oftentimes ask Him very specific questions. And they asked Him about the will of God. And Jesus' response was this in John 4.34. He said, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of Him who sent Me and to finish His work. What was to be finished? Tetelestai. Redemption. Redemption was His work. Bringing God's plan of redemption to its intended, complete, fulfilled goal. It was the consummation of what was lost in the Garden of Eden. And we get to experience it. And not about you, but we've already experienced it today. Worship was awesome. <laughs> Bible theologian and scholar Erwin Lutzer said it like this, and I love this description. This is for you this morning. This means that my sins are on Jesus, not on me. Yes, there is sin within me, but not on me. My sinful nature keeps luring me towards sin. And even in my best moments, my works are tainted with selfish motives. But legally, I'm accepted on the basis of the merit of Jesus. Figuratively speaking, I have a new set of clothes and a clear record in heaven. The righteousness of Jesus has been forever credited to my account. What a deal. <laughs> what a deal. Sad, pathetic Lee fan. Make him a son of, of the Most High. What a deal! And now he has to fulfill his promise to me, which is Stanley Cup before I die. And if that happens, then everything is going to be glorious in heaven. Amen. Okay. All of this truth in one word. One word. Charles Simeon declares it like this. Every word indeed that proceeded from our Savior's lips deserves the most attentive consideration, but tetelestai eclipses them all. To do justice to it, it is beyond the ability of men or angels. Its height and depth and length and breadth are absolutely unsearchable. It is unsearchable. It is unmistakable. And it is unbelievable. Oh, it is awesome. Think about this. We owed a debt that we could never pay. We could never pay it. How could you pay for the sins of the world and let alone your own? But Jesus paid a debt He did not owe. That's the hope of the cross. That's the entire theme of this whole series. That is the hope of the cross. Amen? So what happens if we do mess up? What happens if we make a mistake? What happens if we're not perfect tomorrow? Now I want to say God desires us to make right choices as we teach our kids every day. But what happens if we do mess up? I'm going to draw on a thought we shared in our series called Love Illuminated. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, My dear children, I'm writing to you 
that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Think about this. Every single time you sin and the enemy comes to accuse you before God, Jesus stands up and says, Tetelestai. Every time you disobey a direct word of the Lord and the enemy goes, see? Look at that Sarah miracle. Look at that Sarah miracle. She messed up again. Jesus stands up, says, Tetelestai. I want to ask you a question this morning. What one word has defined your life? What one word? Fear? Pride? Insecurity? Pain? Worry? Control? Anger? Sickness? What word has defined your life? Loneliness? Greed? Rejection? Gluttony? Promiscuity? Abandonment? Confusion? Addiction? Come on, what word has defined your life? Pornography? Lust? Envy? Strife? Division? For some of you, it's not just one word the enemy's thrown at you, it's several. Some of you, it just seems to be run-on sentences from the enemy because he didn't go to grammar school. But every single time the enemy continues the run-on sentence, Jesus stands up and says, Tetelestai. You have to understand this morning, Jesus is advocating on your behalf. He's not fighting against you. He doesn't turn his head in disappointment and walk away like humans are prone to do. He pursues you when you're at your worst. Because he wants you to hear from his very own mouth, not from somebody else, but from himself. Tetelestai. What one word has the enemy been playing over and over and over again in your head like a broken record? I want to say this morning, don't give in to the devil's lie. Don't listen to the run-on sentence of the enemy because it's absolute rubbish. It is not Jesus' description of your life. Now, it may look like you live that out. And I would argue that it's because you've never allowed the deep meaning of that word tetelestai to take root in your heart. It's up here, and you get it. But he wants you to understand it on a far deeper level this morning. You mess up, tetelestai. You've sinned, tetelestai. You disobeyed, tetelestai. You gave in to peer pressure and did something you know you shouldn't have done, tetelestai. 
What is he longing for from you? The white flag. God, I can't do this on my own. God, I can't figure it out. God, I, if, I, if, if I would have figured it out, I would have figured it out by now. The only thing he wants from you this morning is surrender. He wants you to place down your own words that you've described over, declared over yourself. He wants you to put down the enemy's words that he's been dis, dis, literally declaring over yourself. And he wants you to hear for the first time with great meaning and great power, tetelestai. It's finished. It's complete. It's paid in full. It's not unfinished. It's not any more finished than it was 2,000 years ago. It doesn't have to be made more finished because it is finished. Paid in full. One word. One hope, which we have in Christ. One response. Believe it. Receive it and obey Him. That's it. Believe, receive, and obey. Too many times in movies and in thoughts and in all these different um, things that have been showed over the last 50 years, they show Jesus literally declaring tetelestai on the cross, almost like he's defeated. And I think it absolutely gives the wrong connotation of what it really means. Tetelestai is not a cry of defeat of a dying man. But it is a roar of triumph of a life-giving Redeemer that knew what he was about to do and knew that the enemy was about to be defeated once and for all. It was not the, the whimper of a dying man. But it was a roar of a mighty Redeemer. It was the shout of victory. Do you believe that this morning? Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.